1: Welcome to the Animal Voices Radio Show, Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM, co-op radio, CFRO in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, on unceded Coast Salish territories. Today is Friday, January the 10th. I am your host, Alison Cole, and I am joined here today by my guest co-host, Megan Beattie. Hello. And Leah Thompson. Hello. As well, I was going to say our control room operator, which is me today (laughs) as well. Uh, Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to have you two here, but chat more after. Thank you. So if you listened to our show last week, we briefly reported that a recently released audit by the wildlife protection organization ZooCheck, commissioned by the Vancouver Humane Society, has shown that the Greater Vancouver Zoo is failing its animals. Over 600 individuals and 140 different species this is happening right here in the lower mainland of bc and for our first interview today we'll have projects and communications director of the vancouver humane society peter fricker on the show to discuss with us some of the details of the scathing report and also, we at Animal Voices are co-presenting the Vancouver premiere screening of the new documentary feature-length film called The Animal People directed by Denis-Henri and Casey Suchen, and executive produced by recent Golden Globe Award winner Joaquin Phoenix. The Vancouver debut will be on Thursday, January the 16th. That's next week. This film is a chilling portrait of what happens when activism rattles the institutions of power and it follows the journey over 15 years of six young Americans who find themselves targeted as terrorists by the U.S. government for their involvement in a controversial animal exploitation protest campaign. We will have one of the key activists of the former Stop Huntington Animal Cruelty Campaign, Jake Conroy, on the show to tell us more about his experience in the 1990s and 2000s that led him to serve prison time for four years under the charge of animal enterprise terrorism. That interview is coming up in about 30 minutes, so please do stay tuned. So since last week, I can now say that I've seen the film. I watched it last weekend. Megan, I know you've seen the film a while ago. I've seen it twice. Oh, it's that good. (laughs) It is. And Leah, you just watched the film last night, right? So we're going to chat. Let's spend some time to share our thoughts of our impressions about the film The Animal People, which, by the way, we will be giving away a pair of tickets for this film screening next week. Just stay tuned for that. And you know, the title of this film The Animal People may lead you to think that this is a film for self-identifying animal people, like us here on the radio show, <laughs> but it really is not. So I, I was stunned while watching the film and captivated to be taken on this journey of seeing the atrocities that happened during this case in the late 1990s and 2000s, which I do remember happening at the time wow. as these young people involved were the same age as myself and someone else. in Probably this, me. Yes, someone else. Not the person who wasn't born yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, they were in their early 20s. 20s as were we while this was happening and you know i over the years when i've attended the national animal rights conferences i've seen uh, some of these members who were sentenced to prison they've done speeches when they've gotten out or when they were awaiting trial and i believe i even remember a skype chat that we had in the room there and for someone who was incarcerated so let's talk about more about what was a shocking
0: or critical part of the film for us. What about you, Megan? Well, basically, the fact that things haven't changed in 15, 20 years with regards Mm -hmm. to how these companies and these industries totally lie in their promo material saying that we're ethical like Huntington Life Sciences their promo video was just beyond right. ridiculous and that along with the fact that the judge would not take any footage from inside mm-hmm. the facilities to show yeah. their case like it was very one-sided it was and a farce was, yeah yeah it was just like really and I think that this mm-hmm. is This just shows that it will connect to the news with us talking about Bill 156, that it's just... Yeah. Things are stacked against us in regards to helping animals. Yeah, and and
1: it's happening, as you're you're alluding to, it's happening here in Canada. What about for you, Leah? You just saw it last Mm -hmm. night. What stood out for you?
2: It was very different than I had expected it was going to be. It made me really angry. (laughs) I'm sure Mm -hmm. a lot of people felt that way. I was surprised, too, because... It took place in, the Huntington Labs is in New Jersey, where I'm from. Right. Ooh. And so I was kind of surprised I'd never heard about it before. And, you know, their trial happened in the Trenton Court, which is near my home. And so it's pretty wow. funny to, like, to see that. And the CEO
1: lives in your town. Yeah, and
2: the CEO lives <laughs> in my town. So I can just imagine, like, being in that town and people showing up um, mm. and protesting outside of his home. It kind of made me feel a little bit not hopeful at first Mm -hmm. because it was like oh they're doing all this work and they're getting arrested for just standing outside and protesting and nothing's changed at the end of the day like the lab didn't close even though so much did happen Mm
0: -hmm.
2: so but I think they did a good job at the end to make it inspiring and to make
1: us feel like Mm -hmm. we do have hope Mm -hmm. I really was on the edge of my seat, or of my bed, I should say. This was a gripping film for me, so I just want to put that out there, you know. If, If you're just listening to the radio right now from your car or your work, and you're not familiar with our show or what we do, we're an animal advocacy program, but... You know, this is actually a film, I think, for everyone Mm -hmm. who, as I put on our website, basically everyone who (laughs) lives in a society where there's a government Mm -hmm. because you'll, you'll find out why. So our film screening is taking place next Thursday and we'll have some details upcoming on that very soon. Did you know that Vancouver Co-op Radio CFRO 100.5 FM has over 90 different shows produced by over 350 community members?
0: This wide range of programming produced by our diverse group of programmers ensures that we have a show you'll love. We have shows on feminism, spirituality, disability rights, politics, unions, and parenting. We play jazz, indie rock, reggae, blues, and folk. We broadcast in a dozen different languages and have more First Nations programs than any other radio station in Vancouver. Find your show on Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. All different, all the time.
2: And now we have some events for you. The Vancouver premiere of The Animal People this Thursday, the 16th. It's on Thursday, January the 16th. <laughs> the film tells the story of an unprecedented journey inside a radical animal rights campaign known as Stop Huntington Animal Cruelty that shook multinational corporations to their core and led to the first ever indictment of six young American activists for terrorism. Presented by the Vancouver Vegan Resource Center, Vancouver Chicken Save, and us, Animal Voices Vancouver at Vancouver Co-op Radio. More than ten years in the making, the feature documentary, The Animal People, from directors Cassandra Suchan and Dennis Henry Henley, follows the journey of six young activists who find themselves indicted as terrorists by the United States government. The reason for indictment is the activist leadership of a controversial open protest campaign aiming to close down the th- largest animal testing laboratory in the world, the Huntington Labs. This film features expansive interviews with the six activists spanning more than a decade and rare archival footage, including never-before-seen surveillance footage, wiretaps, and government documents. The Animal People is a chilling portrait of what happens when activists rattle the institutions of power. Proceeds from the screening will be directed to the legal team representing Amy Serrano and, indirectly, every activist who participated in Meet the Victims Canada. Amy Serrano organized the first Canadian edition of Meet the Victims of Mass Action, which exposed the horrors of humane local family farming at Excelsior Hog Farm in Abbotsford, BC. Alongside 49 other activists, Amy was arrested. As the organizer, she was singled out and is the only activist currently facing criminal charges. The court case will be a major opportunity to expose the realities of this facility and the industry as a whole. Amy set up a GoFundMe to aid in her lawyer and legal fees and continues to fight against animal ag in court. Due to a technical error with the fundraising platform, every dollar was refunded to the supporters. Together as activists, participants, and supporters in the Meet the Victims, we will work to get these funds back to Amy and continue to fight within the legal system. Tickets for the event are on sale at the theanimalpeopleyvr.brownpapertickets.com. No one will be turned away for lack of funds. We want you to see the film. Please promote it amongst your friends. While not everyone may identify with committing direct action for animals, I think this film serves to address people in other social justice issues where we are fighting for a cause in which justice has not been served and which others are being oppressed. And really, that should involve everyone. Today, Friday, January 10th, Animal Rebellion Turtle Island is having a Q&A session at the McGill Public Library in Burnaby in in the hopes of mobilizing activists in Vancouver to get involved with the local AR Vancouver chapter. This event will be from 7 to 9 p.m. This week, January 7th to 12 the Wet'suwet Nation in so called northern BC has issued an international call for a week of solidarity. Urban and indigenous and non-indigenous communities are linking arms in the streets tomorrow, Saturday, January 11th, starting at 800 Smythe Street and marching to Victory Square. This Sunday, January 12th, the Vancouver Feminist Book Club is having our first meeting at Spartacus Books from 5 to 7 p.m. where we will be discussing select chapters from Sonora Taylor's Beasts of Burden. On Friday, January 17th, 6 to 9 p.m., there will be a Canada Goose mass protest organized by DXC at the Main Street Station, Science World Station. There will be signs and leaflets provided. They ask that you bring your compass guards so that you can ride the SkyTrain.
1: If you have an animal-friendly event that you would like to have announced on the show, please send it to us at info at animalvoices.org, or you can send us a message on our Facebook page at Animal Voices Vancouver. Thank you for 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 the events, Leah. For our first interview, we have local animal advocate Peter Fricker on the show. He is the Projects and Communications Director of the Vancouver Humane Society, which is a registered charity dedicated to the humane treatment of animals and encourages individuals, organizations, and governments to take responsibility for the welfare and rights of domestic animals and wildlife influenced by human activities. Recently, VHS had researchers at another... Their organization ZooCheck do an audit of the conditions for the 600 animals who habituate at our Greater Vancouver Zoo. The report of that audit has recently come out, and Peter is here with us today to tell us about the results of the report. Hello, Peter. Welcome back to the Animal Voices Show. Hi, Thank you for coming on the show today to discuss with us the findings of the recent report that you commissioned Zuchac, an international wildlife protection charity, to do in an investigation of the Greater Vancouver Zoo. Now, I know the zoo has some history in being here in the Lower Mainland for many years. Can you tell us how long the zoo has been in establishment and the reputation of the way it has kept its animals in captivity over the years?
3: Sure. Uh, the zoo has been around since the 1970s, probably in its uh, present form from about 1995. And it has a pretty uh, checkered history, of a, a fairly poor record, uh, mainly because of the number of animals uh, that have died prematurely at the zoo. Um, there have been hippos, giraffes, uh, zebras, that have all made the headlines for uh, uh, dying prematurely at the zoo under various uh, circumstances. In addition to that, uh, we and other groups have monitored the the zoo for a number of years and have produced uh, reports in the past that also uh, identified uh, problems with conditions uh, for the animals. So, uh, in, in general terms, it has a poor record. And uh, and also, I think, as uh, many people who are concerned about captivity know, uh, that all zoos uh, really uh, cannot provide ideal conditions for animals. So there are uh, particular problems with this zoo, but also the inherent problem of captivity.
1: Right. Our co-host, Leah, has a question for you, Peter. Sure. Moving forward to the recent
2: ZooCheck report, can you speak to us on its most striking findings in your opinion and what kinds of animals of the 140 species are kept at the zoo?
3: The zoo has a, a range of uh, species. Uh, some are uh, native to North America. There are uh, grizzly bears, um, caribou, that kind of thing. But also a number of uh, exotic species, from uh, lions, uh, Siberian tigers, uh, cheetahs, and uh, uh, other animals from, that are considered exotic or not native to, to North America. In terms of the r- report, um, uh, probably the. The major finding is uh, about a lack of enrichment at the zoo, and by that Mm -hmm. uh, I'm referring to uh, uh, um, measures that a number of zoos take to try and alleviate the uh, boredom and frustration that comes with captivity at zoos. Uh, It involves um, changing the animal's surroundings, providing uh, sort of novel features, It can include things like uh, making animals work for their food, so uh, hanging it from trees or burying it or burying uh, various scents in their enclosures. And it does something to provide a little bit of stimulation similar to uh, what they might experience uh, in the wild. Having said that, um, it's very clear that it is impossible to create the complexity and uh, space that the natural habitats of these animals would uh, would provide Uh, but it does go some way to alleviating that frustration and boredom and what the report found is that the zoo is just not doing enough of that enrichment uh, and as a result if you visit the zoo you will see signs of that uh, frustration uh, exhibited by the animals and uh, specifically you'll see what is Uh, termed uh, stereotypic behavior, and what that means is that the animals are showing uh, repetitive behaviors, so you'll see uh, this, for example, the Siberian tiger uh, pacing back and forth along its uh, fence line basically uh, just over and over, hour by hour, day by day. You'll see uh, the giraffes uh, chewing or licking metal bars and that's another sign of the frustration of not being able to um, forage as they would in in, in the wild. Uh, you can see if you go in the reptile house, um, uh, 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 lizards and other reptiles will be constantly uh, pressing themselves against the glass trying to get out, uh, frustrated with the fact that they, they can't roam as they would in, in the wild, and they're just constantly trying to deal with this, uh, this glass blocking them, and just repeating the same thing over and over. Um, so, so enrichment was definitely the biggest problem overall with the zoo, uh, but there were a number of other issues, such as uh, undersized cages uh, for a number of animals, very small cages. Uh, for example, for some of the, the raptors, um, like owls and kestrels and hawks, are kept in, cl- uh, in uh, cages that don't uh, afford them any opportunity to, to fly. Um, And there are uh, sanctuaries and facilities that do offer flight cages, uh, so it could be done. But at the moment, the zoo is keeping these birds in in, uh, cages that that don't uh, allow them to fly. So there are specific issues to do with space. uh, There are specific issues to do with uh, enrichment. And overall, um, it's uh, really a condemnation of the zoo's ability to provide uh, good conditions for the animals.
1: Well, thank you for that explanation. Our co-host Megan here, she has actually Megan. You had taken some photographs at the at the zoo a few yes. years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. So you you gave a really good depiction in those photos, I have to say, of just the just like the the barren wasteland, basically that these mm. animals stay in. So Megan has a question for
0: you, Peter. Mm. Hi, Peter. Mm-hmm. Hi. In your opinion, are there any good reasons? I think we know the answer to that, (laughs) to have a Siberian tiger, a giraffe, and a hippopotamus living here on the west coast of Canada, completely out of their natural surroundings. The Greater Vancouver Zoo claims to do some conservation, but it seems that there would be no conservation nor educational value to keep these animals locked up in Aldergrove, B.C., where the zoo is just outside of Vancouver.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh, That's right. I mean, all zoos... um defend their position by saying that they're providing, uh, you know, they're doing conservation work and educational work. In the case of the Greater Vancouver Zoo, they have a number of small conservation projects, but the vast majority of uh, the animals they keep uh, have nothing to do with conservation. They're never mm-hmm. going to be rehabilitated or re- returned to the wild. And that's mm-hmm. the case with uh, with most zoos. Uh, in terms of education, there's very little evidence that zoos provide a good educational value yeah. most people just go from one exhibit to another sometimes just spending a, a matter of seconds looking at an animal and uh, and don't really learn very much about it um, and that's understandable when you think you can go look at the siberian tiger but, it's, as I said earlier, it's just pacing back and forth. It's not mm-hmm. behaving uh, as the animal would in the wild. You're really just looking at a, a facsimile uh, of a wild animal. You're not really learning anything yeah. about its natural behaviors. So it's actually much better to, uh, to l- uh, learn about animals through um, uh, a video uh, yes. uh, and uh, all kinds of other Uh, educational resources and learn about how the the animal actually behaves in the wild.
0: Yes, some of the episodes of Planet Earth have literally brought me to tears. On my small computer, I don't need to see them in real life. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Well, when when you do see them in real life, it's actually really sad. Yeah. So why would? Yeah. I don't know what, what people or what parents are thinking when they take their kids to these exhibits. Like, are they really having a good time? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like, it just it just seems silly. So I'm interested, Peter, in knowing has the Greater Vancouver Zoo they've seen the report and presuming have they yet responded to it?
3: No, not at all, unfortunately. Um, When the ZooCheck researchers were were working on this report, they did try to engage uh, with the zoo in a conversation, because we would have been happy to sit down with them and try and address some of these issues, Um, but they didn't respond. Uh, And then when the report was complete, we sent them a copy, again asked them if they wanted to uh, discuss it, and we got no response back.
1: So what does that say to you? What kind of a message is that sending out to the public when they actually won't even respond? That seems quite rude and inauthentic at the <laughs> least.
3: Yeah, I mean, to us it signals that they're they're not willing to make major changes. They're not willing to engage uh, on uh, concerns about things like stereotypic behavior, enrichment, mm-hmm. and things that might make uh, life a little bit better uh, for the animals currently. It also shows that they're not... Um, Really aware of the the uh, worldwide movement against captivity, I and mean, we've seen uh, Canada ban uh, cetacean captivity. We know mm-hmm. that the public is beginning to wake up to the problems of animal captivity and tr- are turning against uh, zoos and aquariums. So it's in their own interest to recognize that things are changing and and to try and adapt to that change. But uh, they don't seem to want to discuss it with us.
1: Well. I just want to say if anyone from the Greater Vancouver Zoo is listening, now is your time (laughs) to reach out to Peter at the Vancouver Humane Society or us at Animal Voices. I I think we would, and yourself, Megan, I know you want to go back and take some updated photographs yeah just I mean nothing's changed right but just to say like this is the zoo this week Mm -hmm. it's the same Mm -hmm. so Peter uh, to end our short interview here what can our listeners do to help the animals and show their opposition for keeping these beings in captivity for human entertainment purposes I know you do have an e-petition I signed it myself and it's posted on our Facebook page can you maybe tell us about that and any Mm -hmm. other options that our listeners can pursue
3: Sure. I mean, the number one thing is that people should avoid going to the zoo uh, and not supporting what they're doing, and also to to contact the zoo. And as as you say, we can facilitate that through our our website. Uh, If you go to our website at vancouverhumanesociety.bc.ca, you'll see the petition there. And already, I think about 700 people have uh, signed on, and that uh, sends uh, a message automatically to the zoo Uh, And I think that that is one thing that might help pressure them to take this more seriously Uh, when they see, uh, you know, members of the public contacting them and expressing those concerns. At least they're going to hear what the public thinks. So we would definitely advise people to take part in.
1: Well, thank you, Peter. You know, zoos and animals in captivity—I think they—they they have to be on their way out because we're seeing—we're seeing, as you mentioned, no more cetaceans in captivity allowed in in Canada, and SeaWorlds are shutting down. You know, little by little. I think SeaWorld just announced that they're no longer doing is it Orca shows, I believe. So, so you know, there's progress happening, and the zoo needs to keep up. So, thank you, Peter Fricker, for speaking with us today about the findings of a recent report commissioned on the welfare of the animals at the Greater Vancouver Zoo. To find VHS's e petition and to find out more about this campaign that they have and other work for the animals, they do please visit Vancouver Humane Society. BC.ca. Thank you for the work you're doing,
0: Peter. Have a good day.
3: Thank you, Alison. Thanks very much.
0: And now we have some news, Megan. Hi. Yes, I um, wanted to focus on Bill 156 because holy moly. Uh, just to give a little um, background on actually what it is, from the National Post. Um, Bill 156 is new legis- tra- legislation. Pardon me, um, that was introduced on December 2nd in Ontario, and it would create a so-called animal protection zones um, with increased fines for trespassing. A move applauded by farmers, but roundly criticized by the animal rights activists who say it targets them. Of course. Um, a- Agriculture Minister Ernie Hardman said the bill dubbed the Security from Trespass and Animal Safety Act would hike fines for trespassing on farms and food processing facilities and make it illegal to obstruct trucks carrying farm animals. The legislation comes after livestock producers press the government to act to take action to prosecute those who trespass on their properties and demonstrate at processing plants. Ontario farmers and agriculture workers deserve to be able to carry out the important work they do without fear for their safety, Hardman said. These are the people who produce the food we eat every day and I've reflected on their experiences and concerns with dra- when drafting this proposed bill. And so under this legislation, fines for trespassing would be set at a maximum of 15,000 for a first offense and up to 25000 for subsequent offenses compared to the current maximum trespassing fines of $10,000. And so this is pretty gigantic because this is not only about um, uh, pra- undercover investigations, like meet mm-hmm. the victims and that kind of thing. This is like the safe movement, like when we stop trucks, like this would affect that as well. And so in Toronto um, on um, January 1st, there was a protest outside of, like a peaceful protest right. outside of um, Premier Doug Ford's home. And um basically Ford the Ford government says the legislation was de- developed to protect biosecurity of the provincial food supply. The bill also claims to protect animals from distress and contamination. But animal rights activists call the proposal an egg gag law. The Legislation will punish whistleblowers for going undercover to film animal abuse on factory farms, set up animal protection zones, as I said before, um, to keep pr- protesters from blocking trucks when animals are being transported to slaughter. And so this is kind of the the um, soundbite that these industries kind of hide behind because that is the same thing that um, the Hallmark Slaughterhouse um, said about when they put up the gates so that we couldn't as Vancouver chicken save right. go into the alleyway to bear witness their ex- their explanation for that was to protect their workers because their workers don't feel safe and so exactly with this biosecurity with this protecting the distressed animals that will pull at the heartstrings of all meat eaters and it's just beyond ridiculous. This is just the beginning. Let's
1: yeah. Let's discuss this more on a future mm-hmm. show because I know you have a lot of involvement in what yeah. this would mean, yeah. Megan, and I'd like to hear more from you. Just
2: more on that, there's a social media campaign for Bill 156. Mm-hmm. So everyone, people are holding up pieces of paper saying I oppose Bill 156 because XYZ reason and then doing hashtag no Bill fi- 156, stop Bill 156, yes. etc. Something that I'm going to mention just really quickly was um, the bushfires in Australia. Right. I'm sure everybody knows this is going on. So um, over an estimated over a billion... Um, Non-human animals have died already. So somewhere that I recommend you donate, if you do have funds you can spare, is to WIRES, which is an organization in New South Wales who is um, on the front lines of helping um, animals in distress with food and health care. Awesome.
1: And I think next week we'll have more of a dedicated show towards these disasters, yes. that bushfires that have been yes. happening in Australia. Thank you for the news. Mm-hmm. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO. 100% listener-sponsored radio broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories.
0: For our feature interview today, we welcome Jake Conroy to the show. Jake is a longtime activist, designer, and writer based in Seattle, Washington. He has been involved in a wide range of activism since 1995, including various acts of civil disobedience, hundreds of protests, and countless educational outreach events. Jake helped build the foundation of Stop Huntington Animal Cruelty US, USA in 2001 considered one of the most successful grassroots animal rights campaigns in history. He and his co-organizers were subsequently arrested by the U.S. government for their roles and dubbed the Shack 7. Jake and his co-defendants were found guilty after a lengthy trial, and he was sentenced to four years in federal prison. Currently, Jake can be found pontificating on YouTube as the Cranky Vegan. Whoop, whoop! where we where he irritates everyone with his thoughts on the tactics, strategies and optics of the grassroots animal rights movement. He can also be seen in the recently released documentary film, The Animal People, executive produced by Joaquin Phoenix. It tells the story of Shaq USA and the Shaq 7. And in this interview today, he will speak to us more about the content of the film, which we, Animal Voices, are co-presenting the Vancouver debut screening of on January 16th. Welcome, Jake, to Animal Voices. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy, busy schedule to talk with us.
4: No worries. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Always. Always. So my first question I want to ask you is, because I don't know this either, and I'm sure everyone wants to know, how did you get into animal activism? Like what got you into animal rights advocacy and all of that stuff when you were a young buck?
4: It's kind of a boring story. I don't really have an exciting like aha moment like some people have. Um, But um, I, I got involved and interested in politics through music so when i was in like elementary school i was into like hip-hop and since i'm old this was like in the you know early 80s so you know listening to things like grandmaster flash and the furious five Melly mel run dmc nwa things like that it started getting me interested public enemy um, really got me interested in the idea of politics particularly radical politics and then as I got older, you know, I, in high school, I got more interested in punk rock and hardcore. And in the mid 90s, the early 90s, that was there's a there's a good like animal rights kind of scene building within that music community. Um, so I, I read a lot and I learned a lot. And then I eventually moved across, I I grew up in New England, in the United States, um, moved across the country to Seattle, Washington. And really, it was just me walking to school one day, I decided I was going to be vegan. I went into a Burger King, I had a double bacon cheeseburger, milkshake and fries. And I said, this is my last, you know, quote, unquote, my last meal, I ate it. And I say, when I wake up in the morning, I'm vegan. And that's what I did. But I knew veganism wasn't going to be enough. I knew I wanted to be an activist. And you know, a few months later, I was walking to school in Seattle and I passed these people with protest signs and I passed by them. And I told myself, what are you doing? Like, that's what you want to be doing. Turn around and go talk to them. So I did, I turned around and I walked up to this guy and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, we're protesting the circus. I said, how do I get involved? And he's like, we're in the yellow pages. <laughs> and I thought that's weird. <laughs> I don't think people, uh, uh, people any younger than, than, than I am probably like, what are the yellow pages? No, so, yeah, yeah, I went we're home. We're the
0: same age, we're all the same age here. <laughs>
4: So I went home after school. I looked up in the yellow pages, and sure enough, under animal rights organizations was one organization, Northwest Animal Rights Network. I called the 800 number and uh, showed up the next weekend for the circus protest, and that's how it started for me.
0: Whoa. That's rad. That's very uh aha. That's exciting. I mean,
4: growing from the early 80s into the (laughs) mid-90s. Too much of an uh aha.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. I like that. So, we are talking to you, Jake, because the Animal People documentary has just come out and um it's all very, very exciting to have this out in the open for people to see. And wondering if you can tell us a little bit from your perspective and your experience being right in the middle of it, what it was all about and what it was like for you.
4: It was boring. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it was amazing. It was like a. <laughs> It
1: was the, a, the Stop Huntington Animal Cruelty Campaign, to be precise. Yes.
4: Right. So we did the, the U.S. chapter of Shack for about five and a half years. It was exciting. There was a lot of uh, intense things going on. Um, it really felt... You start to feel unstoppable, and and you start to r- realize the power that you have as as a grassroots movement. And when communities work together um, and work together smartly, um, you realize the things that you can achieve. Um, and so um, that that is very exciting. Um, I I think for me, you know, I something I always talk about is that I think it's important to figure out what you're best at and use those skills to the best of your abilities. And for me, like I do, I I was decent at design and figuring out you know, web pages and things like that. So that was kind of where I spent a lot of my time was doing the design work, um, which meant sitting at my computer 15 to 18 hours a day, seven days a week for five and a half years, which is kind of boring. So I say like it was boring, you know, partly joking, but partly true. You know, when everyone else is off having the fun protests, you know, I got to do some of that stuff, but a lot of my time was spent behind a computer. And and so I, I think it's, so I think that's like a good reminder that like campaigning is exciting and it's, looks great in a documentary but also at the same time like it's a lot of hard work um and a lot of times it's a lot of boring work it's a lot of you know doing doing stalls and tables and and handing out literature and educating people it's doing figuring out ways to raise money it's figuring out how to galvanize people how to you know figuring out how corporations work um figuring out how to do a web page when web pages weren't really a thing at the time and sorting all those things out is is a lot of work and looking back on it it's fun and it was fun at the time and exciting, but also it was pretty exhausting.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that kind of brings into what I want to talk about next about um, corporations and how they do whatever they want. And that's what kind of what Shaq was challenging that and just about strategic campaigns and all the things that you do and that what you're saying that it's it was one part of it was kind of boring and that's kind of follows through to today's activism that all of the tactics and everything that's being used right now is so kind of uh glamorous and in your face whereas there are so many behind the scenes things that need to be done that are great tactics but they're not really glamorous or anything like that
4: yeah totally right for sure again I think it goes back to that that idea that like you figure out what you're best at and, and everyone has has a, has a role to play and I when I think of like Shaq and you know you watch the video and you watch it excuse me you watch the documentary and you see all the, the protests and the action and this and that but behind the scenes there was a lot of boring hard work and like there were things like we needed an accountant we needed an attorney you know we didn't know how to file taxes we didn't know how to you know how a corporation works we didn't know how stocks were traded on a stock exchange and so um, having those things in, in people to talk to was really important. And those things were hard to find because people wanted to do the glamorous stuff, which is totally legit. But um, figuring out what you're good at and, and doing it, I think, is really important. But I think the way that like, we got people on board to the campaign and got so many people interested in participating was because um, I think ultimately people want to win. No one likes to be on the losing team. And so um, I I think when you start running a a campaign, a pressure campaign, you start showing that all the work we're doing together as a community, we don't need politicians. We don't need large groups. We don't even need lots and lots of money. We can achieve really big things by just working hard together um, and being creative and being strategic. And when people see that and it combined with wins and getting corporations to do the things we want them to do, then people want to jump on board with that, and they want, they want to be part of that winning team. And so I think that's how the Shaq campaign really built steam, um, to really starting from the breeder campaigns in England in 95, 96, and, and steam rolling into Shaq in 99, um, and playing that out through 2005.
0: Will Potter uh, said something on the He's on the phone? No, I wish. <sighs> Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> well, we got him on the show. That would be cool. Oh, he's been on the show. Yeah. Ooh la la. Cool. Um, he said that, I don't know if there would have been a campaign without hubris. You have to have a degree of arrogance to think you can take on a multinational corporation and win. And hubris was said a couple times in the documentary. I I liked that. Mm. I'm just it's a wondering, good word. Yeah, it is. Such a good word. It's a funny word. I like it. I'm wondering what you think about that. And also, like... Contrasting that to today's kind of white savior complex within the animal rights movement today and what the differences are?
4: Yeah, that's a, a good question. It's a large question. I, I do I do think there needs to be, yeah, I I think I think there is a certain amount of hubris to think you can take on corporations and when. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's it can't be done. But I, I do think you need that creativity that that passion and that feeling that, like, you can accomplish whatever you want. I think that's how we were as successful as we were because, you know, we had every large organization, you know, in the animal rights movement telling us we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. We can't accomplish the things that we're accomplishing. And we got the world's largest, you know, insurance companies, largest banks, largest auditors largest uh pharmaceutical corporations in the world to do what we asked not asked but to do what we wanted them to do how does that compare to the white saviorism of of today i think they really i mean to be honest i think the only difference is that there was a certain level of humility i think with within the shack campaign and and i think there wasn't social media i think it was the other big piece i think uh, you know, social media allows you to build up yourself, however, you know, how, however big as you possibly can, make yourself look way bigger than you actually are, make you look way more important than you actually are, without having anything to back any of that up. And I think that was the difference with the Shack campaign. Sure, like yeah, you know, there was definitely like to a certain degree, like white saviorism, white male saviorism, in, in the Shack campaign. A lot of machismo in, in the Shack campaign, which I think was a big problem. Um, and, and and I think. To a certain degree, that was a downfall of the campaign and how we ended up becoming convicted. Um, But I also think there was sound strategy behind the Sheck campaign, and there was tangible results that came from the actions that we all were doing. And I think the other piece about the Shack campaign that I think is really important was that it was very horizontally organized. You know, there wasn't, to a certain degree, there was leadership, but there wasn't anyone saying, you have to do this and you have to do that. It was more like, this is what we're doing. This is the roadmap we think will get us to the end, but it doesn't mean we're right. And if you have other ideas and other ways to get us there, then you should do it and we'll support you the best that we can. And I think that's the big difference between then and now is very much like here's a handful of, uh, of predominantly, you know, a handful of like white men, um, that are saying, this is how it needs to be done, this is the only way that's going to happen, and if you don't do exactly as I say, then you're out, and that's not how you build community, that's not how you build movement, and more importantly, that's not how you get victories.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you reading my notes?
3: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because that's what what's next, is just uh, asking you about the whole campaign and how uh, decentralized it was, and um, how you wanted to encourage people to do what they thought was best and to experience different things across the country, but then the uh, pitfalls that came with that, um, with some of the more radical tactics some folks used that got pushed back for you guys, not for them. You got the brunt of that. Yeah. What was that like?
4: Yeah, I, that's another big question for sure. I, I think the the... You know, not all of Shack you know, Shaq was going on in 18 different countries. And so the experience that we had in the US is different than the experience other people might have had in other countries, which I think is important to remember. But for the US, we really felt that, like, you know, what we were doing had never really been done before. We were modeling our stuff off of the anti apartheid movement from the 80s and how people went after the banks and the financial institutions that propped up apartheid in South Africa. But as far as like the environmental animal rights world, it certainly had never been done before. So a lot of it was very trial and error. You know, we were going to make mistakes. Everyone was going to make mistakes. And we had to figure out the best way to accept that we were making mistakes. And how do we fix those things moving forward? And, and I think it really was, you know, trial by fire. Like, go out, you know, go out there, do whatever you want. Like, we will support you as long as there's no physical violence being used against any animals, human or otherwise. Um, But we supported the idea of property destruction. We supported the idea of economic sabotage. We supported the idea of liberation. And I still support those things. I think that allowing people to try what they felt was the best thing to do was was an important thing to do. Not only because I think we got big successes out of it, but also because we got big failures out of it. And we could learn from those mistakes. Yeah, and the thing that like we'd always say is like, think about what your limit is in terms of your activism and then try to take a step past that. So, you know, all you were good at or felt you were good at or felt you comfortable doing was writing letters, then try, you know, going and making some phone calls or going on a a protest. If, if you felt only comfortable doing protests, try doing civil disobedience, you know, take that next step a little bit farther and see how that feels and step out of your comfort zone. I think that push allowed people to, try new things but also with the horizontal organizing it allowed them to take ownership over their own actions and their own organizations which is something we don't see a lot of in the movement today.
0: One thing that really got me super frazzled and frustrated and I can't imagine what it must have been like for you guys was just the judges refusal to allow the footage and to show the treatment of the animals in um, Huntington Life Sciences to be shown for the trial and just the the manipulation of their promo videos and the lies and all of that—how did that not suck? Like <laughs> I, I don't. Even I mean, know the
4: whole process suck. sucked.
0: How yes.
3: is
1: that
0: allowed? Like, yeah. it's
4: garbage. I, I mean, that's that. The, it ultimately it's up to the judge to determine what is allowed and not allowed into a, a trial. And you can argue and push back on it, but you know you can only push so much. But it, it was awful. But I mean, that was just one or two examples, like. Our our trial experience, you know, which wasn't shown in the movie, was actually started in 2005 and went on for about a month. And then we had a mistrial where the trial was, you know, basically shut down and told we had to come back in February of 2006. So, you know, and then we started the whole process all over again. Um, and you go through like in the United States, we have like a voir dire process where you get to pick your jury, but you only get to say no or yes to so many people. Right. Like kind of as like a veto, you know. And so, you know, we had people that the judge wanted to put on the, the jury that one guy, his job was to drive around and pick up dead animals from laboratories. That was his job. And, and he was okay to be on the jury. Luckily, he was someone that we vetoed. Another woman who I think she made it onto the jury, her husband was a correctional officer, you know, worked inside of a prison. So it's like, how, how is this an impartial jury of our peers? This is crazy. But yeah, there was multiple things over and over and over again of things that we weren't allowed to introduce or allowed to do, or they were allowed to do that we weren't. It was very much a railroading um, from the very beginning. I think they say it in the movie, and I think it's true, is that clearly something illegal or wrong had happened over the course of that five and a half year campaign, and someone needed to be held responsible for it. The people sitting in that courtroom weren't the ones who did any of those things, but that's all the jury got. And so that was that.
0: So I'm curious about, and I know you've shared about this in one of your uh, recent question and answer videos, but um, just because right now getting arrested seems to be this new really popular tactic and it's being glamorized as well and I don't see very much uh, like talk or explanation of what it's really like or what it will really do to your life going forward. And so I'm just wondering if you could speak to, you know, whatever you're comfortable with sharing, whether inside or after you got out of prison, like how that affected um, your life and how it's not like in the movies.
4: (laughs) Yeah, well, first, I think there's, there's a little bit difference between, you know, what happened to us and then what people are being arrested for, right? So like, we were we were arrested and charged with some like pretty heavy felonies um i think what's going on what people are really into is the idea of civil disobedience more or less which i think is a different discussion you know for me i the first time i engaged in civil disobedience was like 1996 and i got arrested the first time i'd ever been arrested and i got put in jail in seattle and i stayed there for three days and when i got out i was like god why why did i do that that's that was awful like (coughs) why did i turn myself over to the police willingly it didn't make any sense to me but I, I i do feel that like there is a place for civil disobedience and that's what some people are good at and they can do it and and the organization that i work for now like we do a lot of civil disobedience but for me personally like it made me rethink like how like it, how important it is to be as strategic as possible you only get to get arrested so many times really you know what i mean there are people that get arrested 20 30 40 times and so good for them but for me you know Every time you get arrested, at least in the United States, when you get arrested and charged again, the punishment gets worse and worse. And I think, you know, the, the more you get arrested, and particularly as the movement gets more, uses that tactic as, well, as a tactic as part of their, a, a broader strategy, you see how the government and the corporations respond, right? So, you know, you can see it with the open rescues that people are doing, have been doing for a few years throughout the United States, you know, starting out with slaps in the wrist or the charges dropped. And as, you know, people get more and more brazen you start getting felony charges i'm not sure what the current status is but last time i checked there are several people who are facing felony charges for taking a handful of animals and so is it worth it i'm sure it's worth it for the lives of those animals for sure but as like a strategy or as an activist you only get so many of those and so you got to make them work or make the best of them yeah I, i i'm not opposed to people getting arrested or using their bodies and putting themselves on the line but i think it needs to be smart and strategic and for me you know, now that I'm out of prison and I have, you know, I have six felonies on my record. If I were to get arrested again for something, like, I'm going to face some serious time. And that's not something I'm interested in doing. I think when you're younger, it's easy to be like, oh, I'm 19, I'm 20. Like, what's a misdemeanor on my record? And I agree, you know, I've several misdemeanors on my record as well. But you only get so many. So make sure that they're worth it.
0: Yes, I agree. <laughs> Oof. Well, yeah. I've been arrested two times now, so I'm very and i know you've you know a little bit about the new laws and bills that are Mm -hmm. kind of popping up across canada with the one the 156 um bill and how it's pointing at undercover investigations but also for us bearing witness which is really nuts but i mean for me I'm kind of thinking that of course we'll fight those bills and we'll we'll fight to you know take those down but it it's kind of I'm thinking it gives us the opportunity to kind of switch our tactics and do more kind of corporate strategic campaigns and focus Mm -hmm. on that like with doing those kind of campaigns I feel like it will centralize collective liberation Mm -hmm. like you like to say and the animals themselves without tokenizing them and traumatizing all of us with all of this footage and everything because there's so there's just so much i'm curious about what you've talked about collective liberation and what does that mean to you yeah
4: collective liberation to me is the idea that like earth liberation human liberation animal liberation all intertwine that they all have the same intrinsic value as as the other the movements are just as important um, and the, the people involved in them are just as important as any other movement and i think that since they're all intertwined, working for one is working for all. And so, you know, if you are an environmentalist or you're an animal rights activist, you know, you are also working towards that end goal of collective liberation. And so um, I think it's easy and often done that we dismiss people that aren't in the animal rights movement as terrible people. You know, you can't love animals and eat them too. You can't be a meat-eating environmentalist, but you actually can. It might feel weird to us as animal rights activists, and I totally understand that. But at the end of the day, like we need everyone fighting against systems of oppression in order to to reach that end goal. You know, we can create a world where we have animal liberation. And that's great, but doesn't mean we're all free. Doesn't mean that animals are going to be free. The same thing with you know human liberation and liberation of the environment. Like we can solve a lot of these big problems, but at the end of the day, if we're all not free, then none of us are. Um, and I think I think that's important to remember. And I think people that push back against that idea are people that often say, well, you know, I don't want to go to human rights. I don't want to go to environmental issues, which is fine. I get that. Um, but I think it's, I think when you incorporate that idea of collective liberation into how you're organizing for whatever movement it is, in this case, animals, um, just keeping it in the back of your mind that like, you're not the only movement that matters. You're not the only movement that's doing things. Um, then I think that like it broadens, Your scope as a organization and as a movement, and it broadens your abilities to build bridges with with other folks and other communities and work together in really big and important ways. and And that's happened before. It's happened, you know, in really, like I said, in important ways. And um, and and nowadays it seems like that's very overlooked. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, thank you. So overlooked. Yeah. Yay. Okay, one other question just to quickly for you to answer, please, is who do you think the Animal People documentary is for?
4: I think it's for anyone that, I don't know, I, I, think, it, I think it could speak to a wide range of people. I think obviously like animal rights activists and activists at large, I think it's an important movie for folks to see because I think it shows what happens, like I said earlier, when small communities of people who want to change the world get together and do things in smart, creative, strategic ways. Um that we can win, we can we can change the world. But I think there's also a lesson that shows, like when you are when you are being creative and smart and you're winning, the people you're fighting against are not going to sit back and take it. Like they are going to fight back, and they have way more resources than we do. And we should be aware of like what they can bring to take us down, and how far they'll go to take us down. And and you know, you look in other movements, in other places, like people are being murdered. You know, um, like that is not above them and so I think it's an important lesson to be learned I think from like people that might not be involved in activism I think it's important for folks to watch it that um, are just interested maybe in the ideas of social change but also just the ideas of like what are our tax dollars being used for you know what are you know tax dollars being put towards animal experimentation but also tax dollars being used to prop up and support private corporations Um, tax dollars being used to insure uh, private corporations, to give them banking facilities, and and to run some of the world's large, or some of the largest uh, investigations against nonviolent protesters simply because they're affecting the bottom line. Um, I think it's shocking to a lot of people. And so I think it's important for everyone Mm, to see that.
0: Yeah. And also showing the history, because you've talked about that a lot too, is, you know, all the animal rights stuff that's happening now, like it's not, all of these tactics are not new.
4: No, they're not. But it's important to 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 be reminded that they exist out there, and they can still be utilized in smart ways.
0: Cool. Do you have anything else you'd like to say or share?
4: I feel like I've said so much already. I tend to ramble. But if anyone wants to listen to more rambling, they can follow my ramblings on my YouTube channel, The Cranky.
0: I highly recommend it. Very highly.
4: Highly (laughs) recommend it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Thank you, Jake, for coming on the show.
4: Thanks for having me. Go see the movie on the 16th.
1: Yes, do go see the movie. It's happening Thursday, January the 16th. We are presenting that movie along with Vancouver Chicken Save and the Vancouver Vegan Resource Center. So, just uh, once again, we have a pair of tickets to give away. Also, you can follow Jake online at The Cranky Vegan. That is his persona on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, Megan, what are his three-minute Thursday YouTube videos about? I haven't watched one yet, even though it's only supposedly three minutes. Yeah, it's uh,
0: they're not always three minutes. <laughs> uh, Okay, good morning. But uh, but he just, with the three-minute Thursdays, he just talks about um, news items and his kind of perspective. And like he said in the interview, being strategic and also kind of critically thinking about wins and perhaps things that aren't really as effective as they can be within the... Um, Vegan animal rights movement. He also has another series called "Are We Winning," which are mm-hmm. which are longer, and he really focuses in on um, different organizations, different tactics, like all all sorts of things. And it's not like a pointing fingers kind of way. It's just because he did a whole episode on the Save movement, and you know, I am very in that movement, and it was just critically looking at what we could do better, and what things Mm -hmm. are maybe problematic, and, you know, just moving forward, and happily taking on mm. change. So he's <laughs> using
1: his many years of experience to put forward his thought on what he believes tactics should be because he's thought them out yeah. well and hard, probably in prison too. Mm-hmm. He was thinking about all this stuff. Mm. So once again, we're giving a pair of tickets, Thursday, January the 16th, free tickets. I mean, the film is, it's by donation, but you can mm-hmm. win these tickets. So at 1 p.m. or I'd say 1.05 p.m. so that's in about 10 minutes, go on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vang Vancouver. And this is the question you're going to have to answer, which we just announced. What is I had said what Jake's Persona is and how to find them on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So the question is: is please note that down in the comments on Facebook at 1:05 p.m. And the first person who gets the answer right, you will wear win the pair of tickets. Okay. So, so yeah, so you know, like like I had mentioned before, this this film is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Leah, you hadn't ever heard the interview before. What's mm-hmm. your What's your one takeaway from the interview that Megan did with Jake? Um, I
2: thought it was great. Nice work, Megan. Something that I really liked that they talked about
1: was how social media
2: has changed activism
3: Mm. because,
2: you know, this is something that is changing all social justice movements, and everything is becoming online, like the way we organize and tell people. You know, he said he used to, like, call them through Mm. the yellow pages, which I don't know what they are because I'm young.
1: (laughs) So he was right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, But, yeah, you know... um, And also something that he talked about was horizontal organizing. And that's something in the film that, like, there really isn't anyone. They didn't know, the police didn't know what to do because Mm -hmm. they weren't really leaders of the movement. You know, this is Mm -hmm. a decentralized movement where everybody is doing what they want to do. I think that's something that we should definitely encourage in our movement. And here, I'd like Mm -hmm. to see more of that, like less this is this organization, this is this organization, and just Mm -hmm. we're all doing this, and we're doing what we can do, and doing it together.
0: Final thoughts, Megan? Just that everyone... I think that animal rights activists that come to this movie look at the history Mm. and kind of... You know, really critically think about how this whole changing vegans one at a time, creating vegans one at a time, is is a tactic, but it's not the one and only. And we it's it's great, but we need to do think bigger and think of these you know other tactics and strategies that are going after Absolutely. corporations. Yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. We we talk about all different kinds of yes. tactics because we yes. do multiple. Types of all kinds of interviews on this show, Mm -hmm. Animal Advocacy. So, yeah, that's definitely one good takeaway. Mm -hmm. So, yep, so remember to sign up for your free tickets on our Facebook page in about five minutes. You've been listening to the Animal Voices radio show on 100.5 Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Please join us for next week's show on Friday, January the 17th. We've been reposting a lot of news about the bushfire crisis in Australia for weeks now, and we'll feature an interview with an on-site person who will tell us more about the devastation of the now 1 billion plus deaths of wildlife in the country, and what can be done to help the surviving victims heal. Also for Veganuary, which is now January, we'll have well-known vegan physician Dr. Neil Bernard on the show to speak about going vegan for 2020 and beyond. We here at the Animal Voices show modestly ask you to keep connected with Animal Voices via the the world wide web our past shows can be listened to on our website at animalvoices.org our past podcasts are also available on iTunes and Google Play join our Facebook page and join us on Instagram both at Voices Vancouver and a final reminder about the details of the Vancouver premiere of the animal people film that we animal voices are co-presenting along with Vancouver chicken safe shout out Megan <laughs> and uh, and also the Vancouver Vegan Resource Center next. Thursday, January the 16th at the C300 Theater at UBC Robson Square. Entry is by donation and no one will be turned away for lack of funds. All donations will go towards BC animal activist Amy Serrano's legal funds as she prepares for trial in being charged for break and enter and trespass at last year's Meet the Victims Canada action at a pig factory farm in Abbotsford. To close the show, we are playing a special edit of the outro credit soundtrack to The Animal People. And you'll hear some closing words by Jake Conroy, our feature guest today, as he says them in the film, The Animal People. Stay tuned now for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. And remember to be kind to the animals.
4: not just about earth liberation it's not just about human liberation it's not just about animal liberation it's about collective liberation the liberation of everything because at the end of the day like we all want to be free and if we start picking choosing who gets to be free we're never going to get anything